Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Let's look together at 101, Psalm 101. Hear now the reading of God's holy inspired word. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. O, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to Him in prayer. O God, You are source of all light, and by Your word You give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the baptism of a covenant child, three questions are asked of the believing parent or parents. Here's the first question that's asked. Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Now think about that question with me. It is an affirmation of the atoning efficacy of Christ's death and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. It's followed by the second question. Do you claim God's covenant promises on your child's behalf And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for your child's salvation as you do for your own? And in that, it is an affirmation that God has, but also that God continues to work covenantally with His people. And that the child of believing parents is, according to 2 Corinthians 7, verse 14, that child is made holy or set apart. And should, in fact, receive the covenantal sign and seal of baptism. Signifying, according to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, the circumcision of Christ. But it's the third question. In a covenant child's baptism that I want to focus on this morning. Here's the question. Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace, 
that you will endeavor to set before your child a godly example, that you will pray with and for your child, that you will teach your child the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I think about that question, I think about the example, and there are many examples that we could draw from, but I think about the example of Hannah and Samuel. In this ascent, the child is dedicated to God. In fact, the word is unreservedly, without reservation. I dedicate my child to God, which is a beautiful picture of of our trust. Our trust in our sovereign God. In dedicating a child, what is the parent acknowledging? Think about this with me. The parent is acknowledging that that child is not, or rather that the parent is not the ultimate guardian of this child. The Lord is. That's what we're saying, right? To dedicate a child to the Lord is to say, I'm not the child's ultimate guardian as the parent. The Lord is the child's guardian. And the parent then moves, I like to think of it as, The supporting role. The supporting role under God. The dedicated child is entrusted to the Lord to be cared for. And how is that child cared for? Well, this is the way God has designed things. This is the way that God works. The child is cared for through the means of the parent. In that supporting role. And so I ask this. If God provides for the child dedicated to him through you and through me as parents, what does this supporting role look like? Well, it's, it's rooted in dependence upon God's provision, isn't it? I mean, think about this. Just from a worldly perspective, parenting is tough. And parenting is tough enough. But raising a covenant child... In this fallen evil world is impossible. There, I said it. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. But by divine grace, you will faithfully pray for your child. By divine grace, you will faithfully teach your child the doctrines of Christianity. But think about this. If you faithfully pray for your child, and you faithfully teach your child, seeking to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but you don't set a godly example for your child, your teaching will fall on deaf ears. Your prayers will avail not. When my paternal grandmother died, She left me, among other things, a small poem to remember as a father. It reads this way. A careful man I ought to be. (laughs) A careful man I ought to be. A little fellow follows me. I dare not go astray. I like read this 20 times, so this wouldn't happen. (laughs) And then here you are. All right, take two. A careful man I ought to be, a little fellow follows me. I dare not go astray, 
for fear he'll go the self-same way. (laughs) I cannot once escape his eyes. Whatever he sees me do, he tries. Like me, he says he's going to be the little chap that follows me. He thinks that I am good and fine, believes in every word of mine. The base in me he must not see, that little fellow who follows me. I must remember as I go, through summer sun and winter snow, I am building for the years to be that little chap who follows me. And it's not good poetry. It's really not. I mean, I shouldn't cry over that. It, it, it's really, it's re- in Milton, it is not. Um, but, but, but the point is, is that what children learn from their parents is more often caught than taught, right? And that's the case in the home. But let me also tell you, that's also found in the church. And it's in our baptismal liturgy, Rightly is the congregation asked to acknowledge publicly the responsibility, and I'm quoting, the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of the child and promising with God's help to be a helper to the child to the end that that child may confess Christ as Lord and Savior and come at last to His eternal kingdom. So if you came today as a mere spectator, in a passive mode, you're in trouble. You have an active part to play in the ceremony today. But of course, ultimately, we know that the salvation of our covenant child doesn't depend upon our works or upon us, but of course, upon the grace of God through faith in Christ. But we are the means through which the Lord works Proverbs says this, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. And we may may deduce that part of that blessing, and blessing the children, is receiving a godly example. And so given the importance of a godly example, I want now to turn to Psalm 101, which we've read and which we look at. And it begins, I might add, characteristic of David, the singer, songwriter, and musician. The psalm begins with singing. With singing. And the reason this is, is because we often sing of what we love. Right? We often sing of what we love. As a singer-songwriter, my oldest son has a song, an album, that's titled Long Way From Home. Available on record, Spotify, streaming on iTunes, and all. (laughs) But but what's funny is, is that that song that he's written, it's really a love song. And it's a love song to his home and his mama. And the reason the song hits home is because we often sing of what we love. Now look at the first verse of this psalm. 
David is singing of what he loves. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. He's singing aloud. He's making music of what he loves. And what's he love? In our world today, they would say, well, those are two things that aren't congruent. The love of God and his justice. And as Christians, we say in Greek, baloney. Because it's a picture of the gospel. He sings of what he loves. God's steadfast love. His covenantally faithful love. Knowing what? We know that we love because God loved us first. David sings of what he loves. God's justice, or it might be translated his judgments, as what God does is always righteous. And you see, these two attributes of the steadfast love and the, and the justice of God, or judgment of God, are the themes of David's song, but they're also the themes of the gospel. God's love and justice are clearly declared in the gospel in which you and I have gathered to sing this morning. We sing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, for example, and I don't believe he, he sang it, but listen carefully to God's love and God's justice and what Paul wrote to the Romans in the fifth chapter. He said, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. You see, God's eternal, covenantally faithful love for us is revealed in the satisfaction of His justice in the cross of Christ. And let me tell you, as sentimental as I can be about my song, sing a song about home, <laughs> the gospel is worth singing about. It's worth singing praises to God. Week before last, I was at Twin Lakes Fellowship, which is a small pastor's fellowship that's sponsored every year by First Presbyterian Jackson, Mississippi, a, uh, a stalwart in the PCA. And in that, you have roughly 200 pastors singing. And as much as I love to hear you sing, and I do love to hear you sing, although I wish more of you would join the choir, to hear 200 presbyters singing in harmony, it'll blow you away. And they're singing at the top of their voices. And here's little John from Arkansas. Nobody knows where Arkansas is, by the way. Here I am singing. And I'm like, I'm going to make it through this one. I'm going to sing loud. And instead, I just weep as I hear the praises that are offered to God. And it is a beautiful thing. But it's not just beautiful because it's in harmony. It's beautiful because these men love the Lord. And they're singing at the top of their voices celebrating the gospel, celebrating the gospel. And so it's worth singing about. It's worth making music to the Lord about. It's worth celebrating that we are loved and we're saved in Christ forever. And it's through this love and it's through this justice of which we sing that serves 
as the basis, and so don't miss this, by the way, love and justice, the gospel serves as the basis of our integrity that we live out before the little fellow who follows me in front of the little church member who watches me, right? The gospel is the basis of our lives. We do not live with integrity to win the favor of God. That's Christ's work, and it's finished. We do not live with integrity to fear of fear of losing the eternal love of God. That's Christ's victory, and He secured it. No, we live with integrity in humble reliance upon divine grace. Because God loved us and sent His only begotten to die for us. John puts it this way. In this is the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And part of the purpose of our assembled worship every single Lord's Day is to be reminded of these truths. To sing before the Lord in worship. And in so singing, telling the truth of the gospel. Which I might add, I need to be reminded of way more often than once a week. Right? This, of course, requires reflection. It requires consideration. Pondering the way that is blameless, as David puts it. Or it could be loosely translated, pondering a life of integrity. A life that comes from the Lord. A life that is lived according to His Word. And as in all things in the life of a believer, such a life is lived in dependence upon the Spirit of God who is at work within us. There are indeed times when it feels like that the Lord has abandoned us. And it feels like that He has just left us to ourselves. And that leads David here to plea, Oh, when will you come to me? When will you come to me? He cries out. Undoubtedly, we feel like that. But the Spirit of Christ is indeed at work. Even in our suffering. And He produces endurance. Which produces character. Which produces hope. And Paul says that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And He whom we receive does not leave. He never walks away in frustration. He never says, that's one too many, John. But He continues. He continues working in you and me, conforming us more and more and more to Christ. And endurance, character, and hope are all contributions to a godly example as attributes of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. This David ponders, as should we. Is the Lord's work in me evident in my example? That the Lord is at work in me is undoubted. 
by His grace through faith in Christ. But is it evident to others? Parents, grandparents, church members, visitors, regular attenders, and everyone else seated in this building and via live stream. Have I got everybody? Our children need to see God's work in our lives. They need to see how we handle success. They need to see how we handle adversity. And they need to see how we handle everything in between. How many of us have been encouraged by the example of a faithful saint amidst suffering? As we age, will we too serve as a godly example? Or will we just grow more and more bitter because of the dark providences we've been dealt? Will our growth and grace be apparent in our walk? Will our growth and grace be apparent in our talk? Will we speak forth integrity from our lives? And will be, or will we be characterized as... Well, you know, it's just grumpy, graceless John. Hmm. David says, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. In other words, he will pursue piety behind closed doors. To paraphrase Charles Marshall, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching The point is is that our integrity should not change whether someone is watching. A little fellow may follow me, but whether he's there or not, God is watching me. And all of life is lived, in the Latin expression that R.C. Sproul has taught us, right? All of life is lived, corum Deo, before the face of God. And this should inform what we look at, who we follow, how we live. David says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. David knows. He knows what our Lord would later say. The the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. What the lamp lets in, what the lamp lets in impacts how we see the Lord, how we see our neighbor, and how we see ourselves. Let me say that again. What the lamp, that is the eyes, what the lamp lets in impacts how we see the Lord, how we see our neighbor, and how we see ourselves. If you are consistently looking at that which is characterized by this present darkness, do not be surprised, like this is just common sense, don't be surprised when your heart and mind grow dark. And don't be surprised when your example is followed. This is also the case with those you follow. Who influences you? Who influences you? 
What have you even looked at this morning that is an influence on your life? How much of your life is influenced by those who do not share your faith? By those who do not even know the Lord? David says, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Have the so-called influencers of your interests shaped your perspective with a curated world of worldliness? Do their views cling to you like leeches set to let out the blood of Christ? If so, for David to say that he hates their work is not hyperbole. Because we're to hate it too. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Beloved, hate what is evil. Beware of what clings. But it's not merely external awareness, but heart examination, isn't it? Have you allowed the world, the flesh, and the devil to pervert your heart? David says, a perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. And rightly did David pray when he was convicted of his sin, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. As the center of our being, we are to guard our heart, for out of it flow the springs of life. David Devotes himself. Think about that. He devotes himself to know nothing of evil. A comprehensive dedication of what he sees, of what he says, of what he does. I'm reminded of the godly example of the first psalm. One of my favorite psalms, I'm sure yours too. Of the blessed man. And I love the way that the, the psalmist describes this blessed man in which he who walks, or rather a man who walks, nor stands, nor sits in the way of evil. And I like that progression, that picture. But instead, he what? He delights. He meditates on the Word of God. The pursuit of piety is not merely hating evil. That's like a newsflash for the religious right of our culture. It's not just about hating evil. Why? Because we are also to love what is good. We are to ponder the way of the blameless. This is why good people who desire to be a good example look to good examples. To follow good examples. Paul counsels the Philippians, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And delighting in and meditating upon God's truth brings clarity. You see more clearly the distinction between evil and good that you may Fan the flame of righteousness. And so also uproot 
unrighteousness in your life. In this psalm, in conclusion, the fifth verse in this psalm, it's a relatively short short psalm, right? In the fifth verse, there's a transition. You probably noticed it as you heard me read it. And in that transition, what we see is the first four verses, David is writing as David the man. In the fifth verse, he changes and writes as David the king. Note the language that David uses. And and this this is harsh, powerful language. David says, I will destroy, verse 5. I will not endure, or meaning I will not tolerate, verse 5. I shall not dwe- they shall not dwell in my house. They shall not continue before my eyes, verse 7. And in verse 8, he is going to destroy all the wicked, cutting off all the evildoers. And as I read this psalm, I was thinking, I was also reading in my daily Bible reading in Joshua. And Joshua's leading Israel into the promised land. And they are literally destroying the people, the evil of that land. And and I I think about that and, and how different that is to our modern way of thinking. of, of, Of Joshua purging evil from the land. Fascinatingly, the, fascinatingly, though, David intends to purge. Look at the sins that he mentions. They're less overt. You may have just passed over this. But he intends to purge the land of slander, arrogance, deceit, lying. Now, when I study that, I think, wow, why those? I mean, we've got the Ten Commandments, so why not, like, murder? I'm going to cleanse the land of murder. Why not cleanse the land of adultery, for example? But David's intent is to get to the heart. And so he is looking to sins of the heart. Think about it this way. Murder is undoubtedly sin. But Jesus said, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Adultery. Undeniably sin. But Jesus said, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, by starting with the sins of the heart, David intends to purge all the wicked of the land and cut off all the evil doers before the sins of the heart become the sins of the hand. He intends to uproot unrighteousness before it blossoms. The description of David's zeal, however, can sound foreign. Sounds foreign to my ears. I'm sure it does to yours as well. It can seem violent, harsh, intolerant, among other things. But here's the thing we need to remember as good students of the Bible. This is about the Lord's covenanted kingdom. And He is anointed David as the king of that kingdom. God has given David the authority to cleanse, to purge the land of evil. Now today, you and I do not live in the covenanted kingdom of Israel or the covenanted kingdom of the USA. Nor are you or I the king of the land. Thank God. 
We do not have the authority to destroy all the wicked in the land, but that does not negate the necessity to uproot unrighteousness where we have authority. And where has God given us authority? Well, consider, for example, what we pray. You prayed it today in our service. Consider what we pray in the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Our shorter catechism says that when we pray that, what we mean is this. That God, by His grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to His will in all things as the angels do in heaven. And so just as David was zealous to purge the land of wickedness, there is much unconquered territory in my heart. Have you declared war against the wicked and evildoer of your flesh? Do you regularly purge the kingdom of your life? Are you guilty of slander, arrogance, deceit, lying? But ignore them as, well, they're less sinister evidence of your fallen self. David says, I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. And as he, as he uproots unrighteousness in the kingdom, he looks for the faithful to thrive, for the blameless to serve. Such is the authority of King Jesus over His kingdom, cleansing the land of our hearts for faithful service to Him. This He calls us to do. This He empowers us to do. That by reliance upon divine grace, we will endeavor to serve as a godly example before our children, before the world. A godly example is more than a simple poem about who follows me. But listen closely. A godly example is a beautiful song of God's steadfast love and justice sung to the beautiful melody of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we do indeed desire to sing that song. For Christ's sake, who lived and died and rose again for us, we might have life in Him. We pray today that we indeed would be a godly example. We pray for the parents, for Harry's parents today, as he is baptized, that they indeed would be empowered, led by you, to serve as godly examples, but so also the family, and so also those around him, and so also his church family. We would see the importance of living a godly example, for it testifies to whose we are and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. 
Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.